The uh, bulletin lists Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That is the text that I'm going to preach on, but I'm actually going to read the first 11 verses of this chapter. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's Word as it's found in the book of Proverbs, the second chapter, verses 1 through 11. My son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, giver of the wonderful gift of the scriptures to the world and to your people. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would sweeten the words that we have read in our mouths and in our hearts so that we, together with our children and the whole church throughout the world, might grow in our knowledge of you, grow in our love for you, grow in our love for neighbor. We pray this for your honor, for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we are in the second part of a protracted four-part series on wisdom. Uh, some time ago I came and we studied the beginning of wisdom. And among other things, we learned what wisdom is from a biblical point of view. We saw from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, how wisdom is the ability to understand God's world and God's word and to live in keeping with it. There is a, there's an order in the world if I were to draw, if I were to let go of the bulletin, it wouldn't go up, it wouldn't go to the right, it wouldn't go to the left, it would go down. Why? Wisdom. Wisdom is the order that God has built into the world. And the better we are at living in keeping with wisdom, the better our lives go. And so next time I come back, and Lord willing, the elders will be gracious and invite me back for part three, uh, we're going to look at the benefits of wisdom. What benefit does it bring us to live in keeping with the divine order that God has revealed to us, both in his world uh, and in his word? But for this morning, we're going to look at the question of wisdom's development. How do we develop this ability within us to understand God's order and to live in keeping with it? Proverbs chapter 2 is a beautiful poem. It's built around the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the alphabet, and so you'll see that there are 22 verses in this poem. 
we're not going to look at the entire poem. Uh, since there are 22 verses, that means there are 11 in each half. And so the poem is beautifully broken up into two halves, which is why I read verses 1 through 11. But we're not even going to try to do all of 1 through 11. We're just going to do the first four verses. And you'll notice how those four verses really do hang together. Um, they are the, the ifs. Notice in verse 2, my son, if. In verse 3, and if, and verse 4, and if, and when we talk about verse 2, I'm going to tell you that there's an implied if uh, in verse 2 as well. So all of these four verses lay out the ifs. Um, Ifs have to do with conditions. If this happens, these conditions are met, then this will happen. And so we're going to look this morning at the conditions that are necessary in our own lives to develop this wisdom, this ability to understand God's order and to live in keeping with it. And I'm going to touch very briefly in conclusion on verses 5 through 11. uh, But you'll notice that verse 5 starts, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And verse 9 starts, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. So verses 1 through 4 are the conditions, they're all the ifs, and then verses 5 through, uh, through 11 are kind of the results that spill out if you begin to meet these conditions that are laid out in verses 1 through 4. So our focus is just those first four verses, the conditions for developing God's wisdom in our lives. And uh, Zach mentioned the evening series that's starting like September 9-ish, and it's on parenting, and parenting isn't just for those who have young children. Parenting is something that uh, folks whose kids are grown and gone still can learn from. Keep in mind, uh, all of you uh, are parents of the covenantal children that are part of the congregation, And the developing wisdom is not just something that young people need to do. Remember, we talked about this in our first sermon. We talked about the fact that um, wisdom is primarily for the young and the naive and the inexperienced. But verse 5 says, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. That the book of Proverbs is for everybody, for those who have very little wisdom, for those who have a moderate amount of wisdom, for those who have much wisdom. Uh, Same thing here with talking about the development of wisdom. Uh, No one in the room, no matter how wise you may be already in your journey to that heavenly city, no one of us can say we don't need to develop more wisdom. Uh, There is always more to learn. So, four verses, four conditions, four words. Can you leave with four words? That's what we're going to work on, just four words to take home that focus our attention on the development of wisdom. The first word is acceptance. Acceptance. To develop wisdom, you have to have a heart that accepts. Notice my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Uh, I'm reading the New International. If you're reading an ESV, I think it says if you receive. And receiving is the first part of accepting. Back to our first sermon on uh, Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. The NIV says in verse 3 of chapter 1, for acquiring, 
for receiving. Verse 4 is that student perspective, the perspective of the student who receives from the teacher. It's the same thing that Paul says later on a number of places in Thessalonians. But, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. And so to develop wisdom, you have to have that posture of being willing to accept, being willing to receive teaching from another. We're going to see that this really goes hand in glove uh, with verse three and the third characteristic. And that's humility. You've got to be willing to accept teaching from someone else, in particular from God, as God reveals that teaching to you, both through the world. This is my father's world. We sing that hymn Uh, through the rustling grass. I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. God actually speaks to us through the creation if we have the ears to hear the eyes to see he speaks to us of his ways in the world we have to have that posture of being willing to receive from God the instruction that he has for us Uh, so receiving is part of this acceptance but the other part is storing that's the language of the NIV and store up my commands this is an interesting Hebrew word there are actually three components to it. Uh, the words that the NIV translates store could be translate hide. Because that's part of what this word means. Uh, hide is something that you do when you don't want other people to know that you've done it. Um, this has been a hard summer, a long summer for our family. About two weeks ago, we had to surreptitiously get my father out of the home in which he has been living for 65 years and put him in an Alzheimer's unit. He wouldn't have gone willingly. You know how sometimes there's a problem with people with Alzheimer's wandering away? Not my father. He wouldn't leave the house, period, for anything under any circumstances. So along with his doctor, we concocted this scheme that actually ended up working quite well. Uh, But... Since he's been gone for two weeks, my mother and my sister, uh, they were just rooting around and, uh, oh, they found $4,000. My brother-in-law was home for the weekend and he called me on Friday. He said, I was looking in dad's closet. I just found $10,000. He said, we're going to Ruth's Chris and we're going to buy an expensive bottle of wine. Too bad you're not here. (laughs) My dad... I never remember seeing my dad use a debit card. I never remember seeing my dad use a credit card, ever. If he paid for something, he paid cash. And, of course, now we know that means that he had to have cash at home. Uh, Hide. That's what we have to do with this teaching from the word in the world that we receive. We've got to hide it. We've got to hide it so that it doesn't get lost. Because we get all kinds of information into our heads and into our hearts. And we don't want the really, really good stuff to get lost. And so this word translated store means hide it. 
But why did my dad hide $10,000? I don't think he hid any sand anywhere. Uh, If you have an ESV, the ESV translates this word, translated store in the NIV as treasure. That's because this word not only means to hide something, it means to hide it because you value it. Hence the ESV says, if you treasure it. Uh, The reason why my dad hid the money was because he valued the money. Uh, The reason why we tuck things away so that they don't get lost or stolen is because we value them. And so we have to value the, the word of God, whether that word is coming to us through the scriptures or whether it's coming to us through the rustling grasses, we hear him pass. We have to hide it. And the reason we hide it is because we value it. And there's one more nuance to this. The way we hide this teaching that God gives us, the way we treasure it up or value it, is by putting it to memory. That This same word is used in that well-known verse in Proverbs 119. I'm sure many of you know it. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's this word. You see, we, we hide God's word in our heart because we value it, because it's going to help us to live the right way day by day. And uh, think of names. Have you ever? I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the only one who doesn't always remember everybody's name. You can know somebody pretty well because they're a member of this church, but see them at the grocery store in another environment, and the name just seems to... So I have to work on memorizing names because I value knowing people by name. So I have to hide those names so that when I'm in the grocery store and I need it, I can use it. That's God's word through the creation, through the scriptures. We've got to memorize it so that when we need it, we have it at our disposal. Remember Jesus. How many times was Jesus tempted in the wilderness? Three. Very good. He's tempted. Three. Uh, he was tempted three times. Every time he was tempted, do you know what his first three words were? It is written. And then what he does is he quotes the scriptures. Now, trust me, Jesus did not. Jesus could not pull out his Evo. He would have used a, a, a droid. He would not have used a. Um, What do you other people use? iPhone. He would have used a droid, I'm sure. He didn't have a Bible on his smartphone. He didn't have a physical Bible. He was an ordinary Jew. And ordinary Jews didn't have Bibles. That wasn't part of their... There was no printing press. The only Bible Jesus had was what Bible? The one that he had stored up because he treasured it. So that as he stored it up, he could use it when he needed it. That's the first condition. If you accept, that is, if you receive it, if you store it, you hide it because you value it and you demonstrate that by memorizing it. Verse 2, 
The second condition, submission. Not a real popular word in our culture, submission. Now, the translation of verse 2 is a little bit tricky. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the NIV. I'm not a huge fan of the ESV. I'm, I'm not really a huge fan of most translations. It's a tricky verse. So let me give you the MDF. Mark David Futado translation. If. You'll notice the if in verse 1, the if in verse 3, and the if in verse 4. There's an implied if here. If by paying careful attention to wisdom, you yield your heart to understanding. I really believe that's the most accurate translation of the Hebrew text. If by paying careful attention to wisdom, you yield your heart to understanding. Notice that paying careful attention. The NIV says turning your ear. That, that's pretty good. That we, could, we could do it, incline your ear. I know you've seen people do this or you've done it yourself. There's a conversation that you wanted to hear. You couldn't quite hear it. Maybe it was a parent and there was a child on the other side of the door. And what, what did you do? You kind of lean in. And you turn your ear in the direction that the speech is coming from because you want to make sure that you get it. You, you pay careful attention. Some of us have to do that a little bit more than others these days, don't we? Um, I grew up in my father's cabinet shop. Uh, the first thing we did when we got new machinery, we took all the safety equipment off. Um, because that inhibited your productivity. Uh, I ran for hours belt saws and joiners and planers and routers with no kind of protection. One time, a number of years ago, my wife said to me, listen to all those crickets. And I said, what crickets? She said, you got to be kidding me. I said, I don't hear any crickets. So I went into the bedroom. I was out in the hallway and I put my ear against the screen Man, amazing crickets. I walked back into the hallway, couldn't hear a single cricket. So she took me to the audiologist, and it was at a, at a, a public school for uh, middle school kids. So the signs on the little machine, all the bird, bird signs, I've, I've lost those. Uh, some of you probably, anybody else here know what it's like to lose a little bit of hearing? A few of you, and I, I noticed that most of you are probably a little bit over 30. So you have to... Pay careful attention to get it. That's, that's this. If by paying careful attention, inclining your ears so that you get it, you yield your heart. See, there's the submission. You've got to yield. You've got to yield your heart. Now, when you look up this idea of yielding the heart uh, in the Old Testament, it's rather interesting. Because it's like a, I know I have one in there. Hold on. It's like a coin. How many sides? Two. We won't take our time to look at it, but just if you're taking notes, jot down Joshua twenty four twenty three, and look at it this afternoon. 
In Joshua 24, 23, Joshua says to the people, yield your heart. You see, this matter of yielding your heart, it's your responsibility. You're the one who has to do it. Ah, But on the other hand, if you flip over the coin and you go to a text like 1 Kings 8.58, 1 Kings 8.58, there Solomon prays and he says, God, yield their hearts to you. It's something that God has to do. So which is it? Is the yielding of the heart something that is your responsibility? Or is it something that is a matter of divine sovereign grace? It's both. It's, it's, and the Bible, the Bible says this in so many different ways, that human responsibility and divine sovereignty are like two railroad tracks that run parallel to each other, but they never touch. The Bible never explains to us how human responsibility and divine sovereignty work out. But trust me, the train doesn't run if you don't have both of those tracks. If there's only one track, the train won't run. You need to have both of those tracks running simultaneously. Now, often under the gravel or under the dirt that has been built up, if you dig a little bit, you can see that there are ties that hold those rails together. We can't see the theological ties that hold human responsibility and divine responsibility together. But we know the Bible teaches us that both of them are true and both of them are essential and for you to live a life of wisdom, it's, in, it's, it's essential for you to take your responsibility seriously, relying upon the sovereign grace of God. In our particular text, the interest is not on the sovereign grace side, it's on the human responsibility side. If by paying careful attention, you yield your heart. You have to submit Making Jesus Lord of your life is something that you do at the very beginning of your Christian walk. But it's something that you have to do day by day. It's something that you have to do decision by decision. Am I going left? Am I going right? Left is a way that is out of sync with Jesus as my Lord. Right is the way that is in sync with Jesus as my Lord. I have got to yield my heart and submit to him as my Lord in this moment. Essential for living a life of wisdom. You've got to accept his teaching and then you've got to submit to it. And there's only one way you can submit to the teaching of Christ. That's verse 3. That's our third qualification. That's humility. Uh, arrogance does not submit. Arrogance does not receive. An arrogant person doesn't receive anything that you have to say. Why not? Because that arrogant person thinks that he already knows everything and doesn't need to receive anything from you. And therefore certainly won't submit to what you say. So you see these qualifications go together. You receive it. And as you receive it, you then submit to it. But that requires a posture of humility. It says, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Now, the word humility isn't there. Why am I saying this verse has anything to do with humility? Go back just a few verses into chapter 1. 
Notice in verse 21, speaking of wisdom, it says, At the head of the noisy streets, wisdom cries out. Well, in our verse, it speaks of you calling out. Back in verse 20 of chapter 1, wisdom calls out. Notice, wisdom is calling out to you. Wisdom is crying out to you in chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. And now what are you doing? You are calling out to her. You are crying out to her. In other words, you are responding to her. You are responding to God's wisdom. The repetition of vocabulary shows us here that what verse 3 is talking about is your response to God's call to you. And to respond to his call to you, you have to have humility. Uh, This humility is not what we often think of. We think of humility as weakness. We think of humility as passivity. But this is not a weak humility. This is not a passive humility. This is a very active humility. Notice it says, if you call out, you're doing something. If you lift your voice, if you cry aloud, this is a very active humility on your part. Again, arrogant people don't receive. They don't submit because they know everything. There's nothing that you have to learn from them. And to the degree that there's arrogance, we confessed pride in our public confession today. To the degree that there's arrogance in your heart, you don't have anything to learn from anyone else. It's humility that says, I have something that I might learn from you. This is why there's often conflict in our conversations with each other. Nobody's listening. And why is nobody listening? Because nobody has anything to learn from the other person. Each of the parties thinks they already know everything. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, Kind of a different example, but I think it's a good one. Have any of you ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door? Jehovah's Witness uh, is is, uh, engaged in a conversation with you at the door. And um, while you're talking, or they, you have a, a strange sense that the person on the other side of the door, because you may not have opened it, you may just be talking through the screen, safer that way. You have a strange sense that while you're not talking, they're not doing something. What, what do you think they're not doing? They're not really what? They're not really listening. They're not listening, they're waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for you to quit talking so that they can do what? So that they can talk. Now, I wonder, when they're talking, is it possible that maybe you're not doing something? What are you not doing? You're not listening. What are you doing? You're waiting. For what? For them to quit talking so that... Now, let me just ask you, how much fruit comes out of those conversations... None. Why not? Because nobody's listening. Why not? Because nobody's humble. If we have the Word of God, and we have the Spirit of God, 
can we not honestly listen to a Jehovah's Witness at the door? And what I mean by that, by listening, is saying to ourselves, maybe I have something to learn from this other person. Oh, that's tough, isn't it? Because we what? We know it all. And you know... If we, because we have the word of God and the spirit of God, can have the confidence to listen, maybe if we genuinely listen, then they'll start to listen. Now, now I'm not saying pretend to listen to trick them into listening. I mean really humbly. It's just an illustration. You can apply it to all sorts of conversations. Ask yourself, am I listening? And by that, am I really saying maybe there's something that I can learn here? If you're really listening, it's because there's humility. And with humility comes the ability to submit to the word of God that we have received by accepting, by hiding, by treasuring, by memorizing. Verse 4, fourth characteristic Why would you bother accepting, submitting out of a heart of humility? Verse 4 is kind of the capstone. It's the word desire. Verse 4, desire. If you look for it as for silver, there are some things that are not new. As in modern culture, silver is valuable. My father also has a large jar of silver coins. My brother's going to see if he can get it valuated. They're probably worth at least double what the face value is, I would imagine. Quarter's probably worth 50 cents. I wouldn't mind having a jar that I could automatically double in value by turning it in somewhere. As in uh, modern times, so in ancient times, silver was valued. It was something that was desired. And so you're looking for it as for silver. Uh, But there's more than just looking for it as for silver. You are searching for it As for hidden treasure. Now Hebrew poetry is is beautiful poetry. But it's nothing like English poetry. There is no hickory dickory dock. The mouse ran up the clock. In Hebrew poetry. There's no meter. There's no rhyming. They use different conventions. But what's at the heart of Hebrew poetry. And this line shows it so beautifully. Is often that in the first half line. Something is said. And in the second half line, something similar is said, but with some sort of addition. And we see that kind of movement in this line. We're moving from searching as for silver to seeking as for hidden treasure. Just a little bit of statistics here. I just happened to look up the Hebrew word translated searching in the beginning. And that Hebrew word translated searching, the first verb, occurs 197 times in the Old Testament. Well, what's interesting is that the second word for seeking only occurs 22 times. The second word is much more, starts with an R, it's much more rare. Also, the word for silver occurs in the Hebrew Bible 403 times. The word for hidden treasure, only five. Much more rare. The poet uses 
common words in the first half and then rare words because he's building this intensity into the poetry. It's one thing to look for your wallet when you know it's in your bedroom and you just can't find it. Uh, It's another thing to look for something that someone has intentionally hidden and you are clueless as to where it is. That second one takes a lot more work and you got to have a lot more. What's the D word? Desire to get it because you have to have a stick to itiveness. And that's the capstone, a desire. Not just a searching as for silver, but a very deep seeking as for hidden treasure. Summer, uh, we're, in, we're used to pause. We, we have pause buttons on all sorts of things. Everything electronic has a pause button. So I gather that the church has a pause button and a number of things have been put on pause over the summer. And now the play button is going to be hit and already has been hit on some of these activities. And a number of them have to do with growing in your knowledge of God's instruction. I trust that as one result of our meditation this morning, that the Holy Spirit will just increase your desire uh, to, to search out the instruction that God has for you in all the possible ways that you can here in the local congregation. Maybe some of you have the opportunity to do something similar with Bible study at work, your own Bible study, regular attending to the preaching of God's word. But also in the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. That desire to hear God communicating to you through the world as well as through his word. Because when you really have this desire, then it will be easy to accept what comes, to submit to what comes out of a spirit of humility. Uh, Four things, acceptance, submission, humility, desire. And let's just very briefly look at those two then sections. What will be the result? The result will be tremendous benefit, first of all, in your relationship with God, Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. As you develop these characteristics within you, the first result is you'll be growing in your relationship with God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. How many of you have some areas in your life where you're looking for some victory right now, where you're looking for God to shield, to guard, to protect As you develop these characteristics, you'll be growing in your relationship with God and experiencing these benefits in that relationship. Verses 9 through 11, you'll not only benefit in your relationship with God, but you'll benefit in your relationship with other people. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair 
every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. How many times have you said in the past couple of months when you've been in a certain situation, maybe it's with one of your children, maybe it's been with one of your parents, with a parent, maybe it's been with a coworker. I'm just not quite sure what to do in this relationship right now. If you develop these four characteristics within you, then you will grow in your relationship with other people. You'll have the wisdom to know when to speak and when not to speak. You know, saying what you could say is not always the wise thing to do. Even if what you're going to say is true, it's not always wise. And how do you know when to speak and when not to speak? There's a proverb that says, answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. There's another proverb that says, don't answer a fool according to his folly or you'll become just like him. So which is it? Do you answer or don't you? It all depends on the situation. And wisdom is knowing when to speak and when to zip it. And you can grow in your ability to know when to speak and when not to speak. Uh, parents, we need to learn that with, when we have children at home. Uh, speaking the truth to them about a certain situation is not always wise. Sometimes we have to be patient and wait for the right time. They don't have ears to hear at certain times. And wisdom is knowing when, if we say it, it's just going to go right over their head or water off their back. Patience takes wisdom. And you can grow in that. It will benefit you tremendously in your relationship with other people if you focus on developing these four characteristics in relationship to the instruction that God has for you, both in his word and in in his world. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you and bless you that you speak to us uh, everywhere through the world. And we bless you for that special gift of speech in the scriptures. And most of all, we bless you for the word incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has lived the perfect life of wisdom in our place and died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our folly, who has been raised so that we can have a right relationship with you and with other people. We pray that you would Write this word on our hearts, uh, shape our hearts to grow in these characteristics that our relationship with you and with others might grow as well. We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.